welcome to series one, episode two of the Wembley Way podcast. I'm Tom, I'm here with Nick. We're back. Hello. We are back. And we did have a running order this morning, didn't we, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> slightly more organised, maybe. Yeah, until the uh, very wealthy Russian completely ripped it up. I don't. Don't. I'm, well, I'm in, I'm, we'll I'm get in there. tears. <laughs> we'll get there. All right, wicked. Um, let's start, as we always do, with the best and worst of the week. Uh, Nick, what's your best? Um, my best this week, I'm going to give it to Burnley um, for obviously beating Liverpool, but not just that, uh, ending their unbeaten home Premier League run, uh, Anfield, uh, 68 games in total, I think it was, um, for me personally, obviously for Burnley to go there and win, given where Burnley are, given how good Liverpool have been over the last three, four years, um, but also as a Chelsea fan, again, mentioning that, uh, not being able to pip our record, um, mainly under Mourinho of 86 games. Um, and I think just to put that into perspective, really into context, if any Premier League team now were to go unbeaten at home for every game from this point onwards, the record wouldn't be broken until the 2025-26 season. That's how oh, long 80, 86 games at home unbeaten in the Premier League is. So I think just, uh, yeah, Burnley obviously a great win. Ending that record even better. And then for me, obviously, just to see that uh, in what's been a bad week for Chelsea, uh, just to see what one thing, we've still got that record, so that's uh, every cloud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, and my best is uh, Bruno's free kick, uh, which yeah. won the uh, FA Cup night, uh, game rather on Sunday evening. Obviously, to win, to win the match 3-2, and that'd be the winning goal, I think, uh, had to be my best. I do have a slight complaint with Alisson's footwork. I mean, I've seen it a lot before. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't shift to the left or the right, but rather takes a, a very slight hop as Bruno yeah. strikes the ball. And so, only when his feet, Allison's feet, land on land on the ground, can he actually react to the shot in in the direction it's going. So, um, and I paused it. I've done a bit of research this week. Um, he he only lands and can actually dart to his left um, once the ball. I think it's over the wall. It's actually passing. I think. To, or not to slide to the right of the wall in Thiago's oh. head. It's actually over Thiago's head already um, in that wall, around that wall, um, at the point at which he can actually try and save the thing because he's taken that slight hop. So that's my only uh, issue with it, but it's still a great goal and a great goal to win it as well. So no, it had to be there. Uh, yeah. And Nicky, your worst? I think that goes without saying, really. My worst is obviously um, Chelsea's decision today to, uh, to sack Lampard. Um, I, I joked earlier, I've been in tears. Not far off, to be honest. Um, gen generally upset and angry this morning. I, I think that um, obviously there's a sentimental attachment with Lampard having been a club legend, won the Champions League, captain us that, that night in Munich. But I mean, trying to look at it rationally, I guess you, you can you can understand it because it is Chelsea and because it's Roman and because we're in a, a month-long slump. But um, I don't think that makes it right. I mean, you, you could argue that the job was too soon for Lampard. You can argue that this season hasn't been what was expected, although I would say we're still only five points off Liverpool who are in fourth. Uh, Liverpool are meant to be sort of the best uh, best Premier League team of or best team of the Premier League era, uh, allegedly. Um, yes, the new signings haven't really bedded in that well. Um, but from, from my perspective... The club knew Lampard only had a year's worth of experience when they hired him. So they knew that. If they weren't prepared to to let him improve and let him make mistakes and let him grow as a manager, then why hire him in the first place? And that sort of 
it stinks of almost like a stopgap and they, they just wanted someone in for that year knowing or thinking that they might not do well in that year because of the transfer ban and and then for get someone in the following season and obviously Lampard did a did a good job last season coming forth in the end getting Champions League football and it's almost like the first sign of of any um sort of discontent from from the players or, or the board or, or whatever uh, and they've just got rid and and People have been saying to me, oh, he only got the job because he was a Chelsea legend. Well, if that's the case, they obviously showed sentiment towards Lampard and, and him getting a job because of who he was. So where's that same sentiment now? You can't you can't take sentiment in bringing someone in and, and then say, well, you have to look, look at it from a business perspective when you get rid of him. It sort of doesn't it works both ways, I think. And um, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just a bit gutted, really. I mean, Munich's one of the best nights of my life, especially as a Chelsea fan. Five Premier League titles, obviously amazing. But those nights aren't why I support Chelsea. I support Chelsea because I've got an affinity with the club and a connection with the club that's passed down through my family. Uh, I just think that last season, Lampard brought back something that's been missing for quite a few years under Chelsea, which is that that connection, that, that real deep connection again by, by bringing through these these academy youngsters that, uh, that haven't been given chance in, in previous seasons. That connection between the manager and the fans and that passion. Uh, I mean, like, from your perspective... Imagine Kane winning the Champions League as your captain, retiring, mm. coming back as manager, and bringing through loads of academy graduates. Like, how how do you feel in that moment? Like, that's, it's, it's obviously something that it's hard to describe. I mean, if if that club or team hasn't been in the same perspective, but um, I, I genuinely believe when Lampard came back, and still believe that it would have happened that we were sort of going to have that that perfect combination of of a longer term strategy having that club legend and passion in charge and and success and I think that would have happened um we'll never know I guess and some people would doubt that I think that this season has been mad in that it's been hit by COVID there's been injuries uh no fans which I think particularly when you've got sort of a club legend in, in charge where all the fans in the stadium are backing I think that makes a big difference um the fixture congestion and as we we're seeing sort of this afternoon this evening having a massive squad with um, with certain players who are out of favour and, and possibly causing quite a lot of disruption, uh, it's obviously taking its toll as well. So um, I think that there's definitely circumstances that have led to this team not doing as well as it should have done this season. And I do think that Lampard hasn't done as well as we would have hoped this season. Um, but yeah, just gutted really, as <laughs> you can probably tell. Yeah, I mean, I was going to leave our best and worst to ourselves and not have a debate about them. But I think I have to wade in on this one. Um, sure. But no, yeah, obviously, um, I think the youth project bought Frank time initially. Um, obviously, you finished fourth, I believe, and obviously you made the FA Cup final. A pretty solid start. But as soon as this club spent big in the summer, spent more than 200 million, uh, I think that's the most shows they've ever spent in a single summer. And then uh, At that point, the rules changed completely. Um, the, obviously, yeah, that now the club needs uh, Champions League qualification to justify that expenditure. Uh, and obviously, since Lampard's points av- uh, per game average is 1.67, the lowest of any permanent Chelsea manager in the Premier League era. Uh, quite frankly, was he out of his depth? I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a shame because he's a club legend, like you say, but romance doesn't pay wages or fund your next big signing. The club got real and got rid. Thoughts? <laughs> I, I agree to an extent, but the 1.67 points per game obviously is not great, but you need to look at it in, the co- in context in that pretty much every other manager that's come in under Abramovich has inherited a side that has won the league in the last year or wins the league that year. 
So the players and the squad that Lampard inherited are far, far beneath what Conte, Ancelotti and Mourinho inherited when they came in and won leagues mm. and, and got the points that they got. And obviously all the, man- all the interim managers in between. So I think I think you have to add context to that. Um, I agree when you spend money, the rules do change. Um, it, it would be, we never find out, but it would be interesting to see of that money spent what signings or which signings were Lampard's targets and which ones were the club signings. We've had this history throughout Chelsea of having club signings or board signings like, such as Shevchenko and Torres, things like that, where the manager at the time hasn't necessarily, um, I would say not wanted them, because obviously if someone goes, oh, here's Havertz and Werner, you're not going to be like, no, what are you doing? Mm. But but obviously Lampard has, we know that Rice was one of his targets and obviously that didn't happen and the club obviously prioritised spending money on it elsewhere. So, It'd be interesting to see that, um, but I, I do get the, the pressure changes. But trying to integrate six new signings into a squad where it's it's absolutely huge anyway, and we couldn't get rid of the players that he wanted to get rid of, um, is difficult, especially in in the current times. I mean, I think no no signing except Werner had like more than four days training before the start of the season, and I think three or four of them missed the first four or five games of the season at least. So um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I'm just just a bit gutted and. Um, Wish he had the, wish he had the time to show what I think could have happened, but obviously that's not to be now. And uh, and we're back with the next manager, and uh, as, as we've always done, and um, we go from there. A sombre start there to the second episode of the Wembley Way, <laughs> but no, a justified one. I understand. And also, my worst now seems well, I was like say, what's your worst? <laughs> well, it's not, yeah, it doesn't come close, I guess, to the Chelsea sacking their manager. Uh, I'll try. Uh, yeah, so my worst, um, it was going to be uh, the. Uh, the Chelsea's first goal against Luton when two yeah. balls entered the pitch. I think if, if two balls are on the pitch, I think the referee's just got a blow. You know that rule the referee's um, added recently, if the referee is struck by the ball, you know, just grazes their, the back of their leg or whatever, they blow up because what it does is it just clears up any issues. Um, it might They might not be affecting the game, but it just clears up any issues and avoids those disastrous cases where, as I know, it backfires off his um, ankle into the path of a striker's one-on-one and scores. And in the same way, I think if there's two balls on the pitch, blow the whistle. You've got whether or not it affects a, a, a centre back who it may be looking at the wrong ball. I don't know if that was necessarily the case, but uh, I do think it should be a blanket rule, um, and therefore there's no complaints. And then Chelsea's ball boys to blame. I'm not entirely sure how the the ball entered the the field, but uh, then it's for the club to figure out themselves so as to not have two balls in play at any given time. I don't know. The ball, the ball was kicked off the pitch by their player, and it hit the hit the hoardings mm-hmm. and came back on. But and who what who me, threw the second Z, ball? Meanwhile, Ziyech. So as the ball went off, Ziyech mm. was close to another ball, which mm. is where it went off. So the ball went mm. off and then hit the, hit the hoardings and went up the other side of the pitch, and then came on the pitch. And Do you agree? Point, so that's at that another... point, Ziyech picked up the ball, picked up another ball and threw it. And I think I think what caught out their players is Ziyech's quick thinking in that. There's another ball. It's essentially a multi multi ball system, which is which happens in Europe and in the Champions League and Europa League, which is really good, I think. So what I think what caught them out was yeah, she's quick thinking and not the fact there was another ball sit, sitting sort of two yards onto the pitch. Yeah, but I do agree. Like, I, I yeah. do agree with you in, in general. Like obviously the ref should have spotted it. Maybe he didn't, and then then you've got a VAR question of well, okay, do they disallow that because there was another ball on the pitch? And yeah, it, it is a tricky one. I don't think it affected the goal. Um, no, but the rules are the rules. So yeah, 
Um, in any case, that wasn't my worst. <laughs> my worst was um, earlier on in the week, uh, Bernardo Silva's goal uh, uh, against Villa, wow. uh, where Rod- Rodri, if you remember, came from an offside position to steal the ball from Mings after a header from Silva. Uh, Rodri then passed the ball back to the Portuguese uh, international, who went on to fire past Martinez, um, Dean Smith and uh, the Villa boss getting sent off in the process after uh, his, pro- uh, his protests. And... Um, yeah, obviously Villa ended up losing the game. It was a tight game until that point. Um, City ended up running away with it um, with, uh, with another late goal after that. So I think um, the biggest issue of that is, please correct me if I'm wrong, but based on this logic, you could have a striker, goal hang effectively, standing behind the goalkeeper. Um, you're, as long as you're in the opposition's half and as the midfielder, you pump the ball up quite clearly to the goalkeeper. He takes a touch, as he should, because the ball's going in. At that point, as soon as he takes that touch, which makes the ball roll forward off his foot, off his chest, whatever, at that point, this goal hanger, striker, could literally just whip round him and, and tackle him. And that is, in my opinion, the same as um, this Mings issue, this Mings incident. But of course, if that happened to a goalkeeper, a striker behind a goalkeeper, the referee wouldn't be having it, would they? They'd be like, that's mental. No, definitely not. But um, I think... Uh, yeah, so for that reason, I think it was wrong to be given. What do you think? I, I couldn't agree more. Um, thing that thing that annoyed me even more than the than the decision was was the sort of retrofitting of the rules after the decision. Mm. Uh, if if the ref and VAR and the linesman get something wrong, they shouldn't after looking at it that many times. But they obviously they decided what they decided, and then afterwards, Peter Walton on BT Sport, mm. other channels available. Uh, came out and, uh, and 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 read out a statement from from the Premier League and, and the ref saying that um, what the rules were what that, that they applied and it says that a player in an offside position receiving the ball from an opponent who deliberately plays the ball is not considered to have gained an advantage. So they're saying that Mings deliberately controlled the ball and at that point Rodri becomes. Uh, no longer offside because Mings has deliberately played the ball. Mm. But the key word in that statement is that a player in an offside position receiving the ball from an opponent. Rodri didn't receive the ball. He he won the ball. He tackled Mings. Yeah. He didn't receive the ball. That that rule is purely in place. Let's say the ball gets played through and defender tries to clear it and he completely slices it and it goes in the opposite direction behind to someone else who is offside and nowhere near the ball. That mm. rule is in place for to stop that being offside, which I agree with. But not not... It's not to stop someone who's literally a couple of yards behind a defender and then sneaks around, tackles him, and, and then continues to set up a goal and, uh, afterwards. It's like, uh, um, we, we know, haven't got a rule for that one. Um, what, da, 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 what could work? Exactly. Ah, this is similar one. enough. Yeah, that's, that's close, yes, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and the farce of it all, I don't know if you saw, but I think it was either the, the, I think it was the next day um, Ronaldo had one for Juventus. And, and it was honestly identical, absolutely mm. identical. I think, I think Mings retweeted it, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and and that was given offside, and then they asked Peter Walton about that, and they said, "Well, Peter, what, what about this?" And he said, "Well, I think the, that was the correct decision in this in this scenario because Ronaldo was just close enough to the defender to affect his first touch, and therefore he was like, he was interfering with play as a defender tried to play the ball." And, I, and it's like, what what are you what planet are you on? It's literally just Am I right saying it's, rules. It's, it's madness. It's that Peter Walton is the uh, kind of the retired ref they wheel yeah, out in like a cabin who watches it in a car park somewhere exactly that's the guy yeah so he they, they don't think, even trust him in the studio <laughs> yeah it's like a pen it's, he's, the doors are locked um but no so he i think initially he thought it was 
it wasn't a goal and then changed his mind. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So he, he, he when they were actually commentating on the game like live, they went to him and he said, yeah, it's offside. And then afterwards, he, he justified the Premier League's decision based on the rule that they, they sent into BT Sport, obviously. So, yeah, it just shows what fast it is. But, yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely mess. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's it. They're our best and worst this week. Uh, wicked. Um, so moving on, we have a new feature for you. Uh, always bring in new things. Uh, never stand still. Innovative. Uh, is it? It's called Five Things in the EFL. It's not that innovative. We don't want to ignore the lower leagues. We don't want to just focus on the EPL and the England Nationals. We're saying that. We are going to ignore it. We've brought someone in to do it for us. His name's Tom Sheldon, and this is Five Things in the EFL. So... Hello. So rather confusingly, I'm the second Tom on this podcast. My friends normally call me Sheldon or Sheld, so we go with those to make podcast life easier. I'm going to be your Football League expert. I'll be here each week to talk all things Football League, which is the proper football I'm sure we can all agree. So each week I'll be looking at five things that we've learned from the EFL in the past week. This will range from standout results, key player performances, any managerial changes and up and coming young players to keep an eye on for the future. Big Mick is back. Mick McCarthy is the new Cardiff City manager on a contract to the end of the season replacing the sat Neil Harris. After guiding Cardiff to the playoffs last year, six defeats in a row sealed Harris's fate. McCarthy on paper has inherited an experienced squad that should be much higher in the table. I think it'll be interesting to see if McCarthy still has what it takes to manage in the championship. He is a veteran of the league but he hasn't managed in it for three years having let it switch town. I'm predicting Mick will get the Bluebirds soaring again. Rooney's Rams revolution. Derby won 1-0 at QPR at the weekend. The Rams have won back-to-back games by this scoreline and are now five points clear of the drop zone, though they've played more games than all three teams below them. Derby are a much more solid defensive unit since Wayne Rooney took over and have now kept seven clean sheets in their last 10 league games, yielding five wins in these games. I think you'd back Derby to pull clear of the drop zone on the back of this form. Incidentally, the match winner for Derby at the weekend was Colin Kazim Richards. Who remembers him? Tigers roaring. There was a big top of the table clash at Fratton Park in League One at the weekend, where third played first in Portsmouth and Hull. Portsmouth won the reverse fixture 2-0 early in the season, and this was billed as a closely fought encounter with both teams locked on 42 points. However, Hull battered Pompey 4-0, and the unfortunate Jack Watmore scored not one, but two own goals for Pompey. I wonder what the record is for most own goals in the game. Maybe one for Tom and Nick to answer. Use on the up. Oxford United made the League One playoff final last year, and were among the bookies' favourites for promotion this year. They've been disappointing in the first half of the season, competing near the bottom half of the table. But the use are now the league's form team, having won five games in the bounce, propelling them to six points of the playoffs with games in hand. Matt Taylor got both goals in the 2-0 win over his old club, old club Bristol Rovers at the weekend, and he has six goals in those five wins. I believe he's one of the top strikers in League One, and with him in attack and Oxford hitting form, I believe they're ones to watch out for in the tightly congested League One promotion race. Stag Party? Similar to Oxford United, a team in form in League Two is Mansfield Town, with five wins in a row. They won 1-0 at Strugglers South End at the weekend thanks to Jamie Reid's fourth goal of the season and are now five points off the playoffs. 
They signed influential online midfielder George Lapsley permanently from Charlton this week to add to the experience they brought in early this month in on loan Stephen Quinn. You wouldn't bet against the Stags gate crashing the promotion party come what may. That's a wrap on the EFL. Back to Tom and Nick. And that is Tom Sheldon with five things in the EFL. I hope you now know more about lower league football. I sure do, Nick. How are you feeling? Hmm? Sorry, <laughs> just, uh, just breaking up there. Uh, no, really interesting in the EFL, yeah. Really good Killed five him. things that I, I learnt about the EFL. So superb. Tom Sheldon there, just doing us a favour. And that's how Thanks, you feel. Oh, no, it was, it was, yeah. Brutal. No, thanks, Tom. Um, that'll be a, that'll be a regular feature. Five things in the EFL, um, and so ex- yeah, expect it next week. Thank you very much, Tom. Okay, and now next uh, we've got the match spotlight. That's where we uh, talk about a match that's uh, in the next week. This week we're looking at Spurs versus Liverpool at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Well, I know you'll have you'll probably have quite strong views on this, given it's Spurs. Um, Liverpool obviously lost to United in the week. They did score two goals, which uh, for Liverpool at the moment is is uh, something positive for them, I suppose, and, and uh, Salah getting them as well. Um, I, I think Liverpool's worries are going to continue uh, in front of goal. I think against um, Spurs' organised shape, they'll struggle. I, I think it, it's probably going to be a, um, almost a repeat of the game at Anfield um, not not too long ago uh, that finished one all, I believe. Um, I, I think that... It, I think it will be a draw, and I think it could be another Liverpool, Liverpool shutout. I a nil nil. Could be a, could be a one all, but I'm going to go with a draw. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Klopp does because when Liverpool struggled last time, they went a bit more direct and, and uh, turned the opposition round by putting the ball over the top earlier. But they can't really do that against Spurs because he's sort of on the byline anyway. Um, so yeah, it'll be an interesting game. Um, I think if Spurs it's a win. It, Puts their credentials um, into the title race, I guess. I suppose can can they win the league if they beat in Liverpool? I don't know. You tell me. I hope so. Uh, no, so yeah, I don't disagree with that really. Um, obviously, Spurs played more expansively at Sheffield United, um, an under ball three four three. I expect them to revert back to the tactics that saw them get results against City, Chelsea, and Arsenal. This is more of a four two one three um, with the two in front of the four, kind of playing. I guess about six at times, um, surrendering the ball, counter-attacking counter- with Kane and Son. Um, as for Liverpool, um, yeah, Liverpool's front front three are obviously into the fourth year of playing together. Uh, I feel like they've become stagnant as a result, uh, run out of ideas. I mean, if you compare this to the United, Man United team of old, refreshing their attacking line uh, incrementally over the years, ensuring it maintained its creative output. I think, yeah, I think... In not doing that, Liverpool are struggling or starting to struggle. I think Jota's... It's interesting you say that. Yeah, I was going to say, Jogo Jota, when they slotted him in there, uh, in place of Mane, Salah and Firmino, different times and different positions, he definitely made a difference. And like you said, just freshen that up. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think new ideas, keeping people on their toes definitely makes a difference. Yeah, and I say Jota's injury compounding this issue for Liverpool, I think. I think they probably got away with it with Jota. Um, but with his injury, um, yeah, they're seeing this uh, stagnant period as a result. Um, they did look better at United, um, but obviously injuries remain in defence, which has obviously meant their midfielders are they got midfielders playing at centre back. Uh, uh, Thiago sitting deeper probably than he would have, would have liked. It's almost like this injury to Van Dijk is it's almost like a black hole. It's like pulling all that remains of the Liverpool side deeper and deeper. 
Um, and as a result, yeah, not the team they can be. I think, um, similar to you, annoyingly, I don't want to keep agreeing, but I, d I had 1-1. Um, I think Spurs will score first, as we've done time and time again this season. I think uh, Liverpool equalise, probably before half-time. I'll be in that Pacific this week. And um, I think Spurs will then hold out for the draw, but we'll probably end up missing a sitter in the process. <laughs> OK, so you, you go 1-0. I'll, I'll go 0-0 uh, for the sake of different scoreline. Same result again, unfortunately. Last week, uh, I think I went 2-1 Leicester. Yeah. You said 2-0, so you were, you were pretty spot on there. Um, neither of us called the sacking of Lampard, though, straight after. That's true enough. Uh, so that was uh, this week's Match Spotlight. Don't do the jingle. Well, I forgot to do the jingle the first. Forget it. Don't worry about it. Next feature, we have England Youth Watch. Every single section is going to have a similar jingle. Um, so I hope you're happy about that. <clears throat> so, yeah, Youth Watch. This week, we did three players um, last week, but we're going to run out of youth players if we do that. So we're going to focus on just the one this week. Um and that is Arsenal's number seven, 19-year-old Saka. Uh, he plays left mid, left back for the Gunners. Um, looking at his EPL stats so far this season, he's played 17 times, scored seven goals, and has one assist to his name. So, yeah, Nick, what do you, what do you think about Saka? Uh, I, I really like him. I, I can't remember if I mentioned it last week um, when doing our England 11s and formations. And I think that if we do... If England end up with the um, with the three or five at the back, whatever you want to call it, with a left wing back, mm. um, I would still have Chilwell in that position. But there's arguments for other other players in there. But I think Saka, with his versatility, would be a really useful player to take in the squad, uh, having sort of the ability to play left wing back, but also on the left side of midfield and left wing and, and in further four positions as well. For Arsenal, it just seems to make a difference in every game, whether it's an assist, whether it's a goal, whether it's that key pass, the pre-assist, if you like. Um, mm. He seems to make things happen all the time. Um, and he, I mean, he caused Chelsea a lot of problems when we played them. Um, uh, but obviously, you know, in other games as well, I've seen him, seen him have a major impact. So I, I think I think um, I really like him as a player. I think he'll get better and better again. Um, I think he could make the squad, given the versatility. I mean, World Cup squads are all about versatility, really. You have a certain, you have 23 players you can take. So if you've got one player who can play in two positions, perfect. Um, what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it's a really bright talent. I think, obviously, he's shone um, this season um, in what has otherwise been a rather depressing Arsenal side. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, if I'm honest, I haven't got too many thoughts on him other than... Um, he is he started extremely well in his career. He's obviously been given the freedom to do so due to the underperforming team he's in. Um, and yeah, I think the jury's still out. He's um, still very young, but for a 19-year-old to do what he's doing in the league is certainly very exciting uh, for Arsenal and England. Indeed. Nice. And that's um, actually is a nice segue into our next feature being power rankings. So uh, if you remember from last week, um, every every podcast, every episode, uh, we're looking at the England's men's senior squad um, for the uh, UEFA Euro 2020. Um, and on the website, we've, we list the power rankings for um, the England squad broken down uh, by role. So that's goalkeeper, defenders, midfielders and forwards, uh, highlighting who does and who does not make the plate for the national team. Um, so yeah, um, the movers this week, um, we've got Nick Pope has jumped ahead of Henderson in, uh, in the goalkeeper's uh, part, if you will, of the power rankings. So that's now Pickford at number one, Pope at two, Henderson at number three. Um, I think this is because Pope's recent performance at Anfield, Nick. 
Yeah, yeah, he made, he made multiple good saves. Um, I think I think there's not a lot in it between those goalkeepers, to be honest, and, and any of them could probably play for England uh, in the Euros. Um, he, he's been very good this season. We sort of we didn't really mention him too much last week, but um, he's an impressive goalkeeper. His shot stopping is great. He's, he commands the area really well. Um, one on one, he's, he's brilliant. Um, I, the only I think the only thing the only reservation I have with him is that he's playing in a team in Burnley that um, that are obviously quite deep um, and he have a lot of, lot of things to do. And I think the, the game changes for a goalkeeper when you you go from someone who's active constantly to someone who's in a in a, a big team, an important match. And you're not having a lot to do, and you've got to make the odd save or the odd decision, if whether to come out or not, or whether to whether to clear the ball or let your defender deal with it, things like that. So I think I think the, the jury's still out in that in that respect, but I think he's a really good keeper and, and deserves the the increase in the power rankings. Nicely said. Um, looking at our defenders, we have uh, as uh, yeah as for the movers, we've got Stones um, leap frog, uh, frogging Trent Alexander Arnold into third. Uh, followed by Chilwell. So, um, yeah, uh, Trent dropping two places there. Stone's really pushing on now, Nick. Yeah, yeah, I, I think um, just, yeah, getting better, better and more solid and, and a key part of Man City's team as the season goes on. I think um, probably more of a case of maybe Trent dropping than Stone's doing anything this particular week. Trent, uh, just just continue that sort of a bit of stagnant form that he's had uh, this season, really. Um, I saw him against Burnley and... and it was unlike him because obviously his delivery is normally so good, but it was almost like they were just aimlessly throwing crosses in the box rather than normally he'll, he'll you can see him pick out a player across the ball or across into the box or a cut back and he and he, he really means it and, and intends to pick someone out. Whereas um, lately he's just been sort of throwing things into the box and almost a bit more, a bit more hopeful, which is a sign of a player with, uh, with a little bit less confidence. We've got Luke Shaw, who has gone up in the rankings, but is just missing out currently in tenth. He's he's really coming on this season now, Nicky. Yeah, I've actually been really impressed with him. I thought he, he well, under Mourinho, looked like his United career was down and out. And uh, since then, obviously, they've gone out and bought Alex Tellers last season or this season. Um, and you thought, again, that could be the end of him, but he's keeping him out of the team at the moment and, uh, and playing really, really well. So, um, yeah, it's almost like finding. Makes the plan, but... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's almost finding his form of his Southampton days. Um, yeah. I remember, I know someone who uh, is a, uh, used to be a sports scientist at a Premier League club and now is one of the head of sports science at a championship club. And he, um, I was watching TV once and with, with him and he was, he, we saw uh, Shaw, Christ, I'm forgetting his name. Um, yeah, we saw Shaw training and he even said to me uh, whilst watching the TV, it doesn't, look like, it doesn't look like Shaw's um, got that um, intensity in training that you'd expect in a pre-match warm-up. Um, it wasn't training, it was a pre-match warm-up. However, he does uh, look a lot fitter now um, and was everywhere on Sunday night against Liverpool. Um, long may it continue, I guess, uh, a shout to start for England if his form continues, yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially with Chilwell, slightly struggling at the moment. And obviously with a new manager coming in, you'd never know who they're going to prefer at left-back. So um, definitely one to keep an eye on, I think, sure. Yeah, and um, we've had uh, a few tweets this week um, in response to our reach out for questions in which um, someone suggested, um, well, three players, actually, three defenders, uh, Justin James, Rob Holding and Aaron Cresswell, all have now been added to the power rankings. Um, James Justin in 13th, Holding 14th and Cresswell down in 19th uh, ahead of Danny Rose. Um, so, yeah, uh, would, any words, any comment on their inclusion? Um, uh, I don't... I don't... I think Cresswell, he's obviously playing well in a, in a, in a West Ham system that's, that's well drilled by Moyes, but I think I think that's different. I think a player playing 
are doing well in a, in a, in a well-drilled system is different to a player deserving to, to be on the plate for England. So I, don't, I, would, I would sort of discount Cresswell, and I think most hammers would agree with me on that, um, in, in that we have better options. Um, uh, I think James Justin has really impressed me this year. He's played left wing back, right wing back, left back and right back um, for Leicester on the Rodgers. And that the maturity and um, discipline that I used to play all those different positions very well, um, obviously obviously shows his, his, uh, his talent and his ability. Um, I, I don't think he'll have a shout getting in the right side of our defence, given the, the talent we spoke about last week. And I don't think he'll have a shout um, either short-term or long-term and getting in the left-hand side of our defence because he is really a right-sided player, although he's done a very good job on the left side for Leicester recently. Um, but that's not that's not underestimating his ability and talent. Um, I just think that he... Long-term, you should never be shoehorning in a player who wants to play a certain... wants to play right-back or the right-hand on the right side into the left-hand side because he's playing well. I mean, we all saw that... Um, Southgate picking Trippier to play left wing back in, in recent friendlies and recent games. It's, it just doesn't work. You, you're, you're picking you're picking a player because you like them rather than the fit for the team and the squad. And I, and I don't think he'll make the plane. But as I said earlier about versatility, if he does, it'll be because of that, because he can play on both sides and it releases a spot further up the pitch. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, as for the midfield... Um... Hold on, did I, did, I, did I forget holding? You did. And we owe it to our listeners. <laughs> we do. There's a specific question asked on the holding. There was. Yeah, no, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I think he's doing very well this year under Arteta. Um, and and actually, Arsenal seems to be a much weaker team without him. Um, it's difficult because there's an argument. You can say, well, he's performing better than someone like Michael Keane performing maybe people th- could think he's better than someone like Mings and, and, and Dyer and, and maybe even Cody think people like that. But I don't know. I, I think, I think you're filling this squad with center backs and you pick your, you pick your three or four, possibly your three who you want to play throughout the tournament. And then after that, you then pick the players who fill a squad. And I think it's important. One, I've mentioned already the versatility of those players. I think secondly, you have to think about who's been there and done it, who's already been around the England squad, who's going to fit the the characters, who's going to be a leader and 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 step up and and uh, get the other players going, even though they're not in a team. And I think Southgate will have his trusted players in, in probably Mings, King, people like that, maybe Dyer, and and like I said, leader in Cody. So I think those players will be ahead of holding because of that experience. Um, but I, I don't think he's any worse of a centre back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Onto the midfield. Um, James Madison is having a few, uh, some very good weeks of late um, and he's moved from seventh to sixth and on the plane. Mm. Um, he's, he's just getting better and better since his injury, really. Um, scored uh, in the FA Cup uh, yesterday and obviously uh, scored against Chelsea in the week as well. Played very well in that game. I thought he was, um, I think we, we tweeted not long ago about questioning his sort of discipline and on, on the transition and things like that. And I thought, particularly going forwards um, on the transition, he was picking up some lovely spaces. And so I thought um, I thought he deserved a, an increase in the power rankings this week. And, and uh, whether he gets on a plane or not, I'm not sure, because we don't. I don't think we're going to play a number 10. But if we were to, I think he's the most natural fit. Yeah, he spoke um, really well in that uh, post-match interview that went viral after, the, uh, I think, the game mm. 
you mentioned. Um, he, and he cited Lampard as well for them for that. Um, come, say Lamp, talk of the town at the moment, isn't he, Frank? Um, but yeah, he cited Lampard as um, a player who would um, what's the word uh, enter those advanced areas and yeah and generate scoring opportunities for himself as a midfielder. Alrighty, uh, last but not least, the forwards. Uh, the only mover being Callum Hudson Odoi moving from eighth to seventh ahead of Danny Ings. Uh, harsh the power rankings there, I think, on Danny Ings, but alas, Callum Hudson Odoi is one step closer to the plane. He's not on the plane. We only we only allocate five players, um, being Kane, Sterling, Rashford, Grealish, and Calvert Lewin uh, at the moment, and that does mean Sancho is currently in sixth, not in um, in those spots. And yeah, as I say, following him, Callum Hudson Odoi. Any word on Callum? Um, yeah, against Leicester, he got the opportunity to start, and he wasn't he wasn't particularly great. But then the whole team weren't great, so um, I'm not going to not going to judge him on that and hold him against that. But um, uh, he came on in the FA Cup and, and was bright again. Um, I think I think probably that that rises as a as a result of him over the last few weeks and months, really. Um, when he when he's been called on to make an impact. Um, so I think I think he's there. He's like a little bit tough on tough on Ings, but I think Hudson Odoi could possibly run Sancho close if um, if he keeps it up for the rest of the season. But all depends on on the new manager, I guess. And what I would say is that maybe we could, uh, if listeners think that's the right thing to do, could increase like, that forward spot by one and and maybe decrease the defenders or, or the midfielders depending on who we've got. So um, if you do feel strongly about that, have a look at the power rankings and let us know what you think. Yeah, do so. Uh, the Wembley um, and you'll see power rankings in the top nav. Check it out. Uh, on that, actually, uh, Thomas Tuchel will be obviously heavily linked um, in replacing uh, Lampard. You, you probably suspect that Tuchel has agreed already, and that's why they they, they sacked Lampard today. Mm. Uh, the deal was probably done last week. Uh, do you think he will give the likes of uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi a chance, um, or will those um, those young talents that Lampard was forced to using last year due to the uh, transfer ban, um, do you reckon they'll, they'll fall away as he brings in his own favoured uh, transfers? Uh, I won't bite on the force to use the youth. Um, <laughs> like but, um, uh, so um, at Mainz, he he had a um, a good track record for bringing through younger players, um, but maybe that's because he didn't necessarily have any funds available to him. Um, at PSG, I mean PSG had a phenomenal phenomenal youth setup and some really good players. Um, they played Chelsea in the, in the um, youth Champions League a couple of years ago, and. and so many of those players have gone on to to play for decent for decent clubs at a decent level already in their career, even though they're still so young. And I think he he let go eleven of them in three transfer windows. Um, there might have been other circumstances. Obviously, you can't have too many of those younger players when you've got superstars coming in all the time that the club are buying for you at PSG. But we'll see. I mean, personally, I think the the, the players who are playing under Lampard. Uh, the youth players uh, or academy graduates are, are all good enough to play. Um, it's not a case of Lampard favouring them. They're, they're better than the other players we've got, in my opinion. So um, hopefully he will see that um, and, uh, and and continue playing them. That's it for our power rankings this week. As Nick said, um, you can check out the power rankings for yourself at the Um And yes, as I said, uh, find power rankings in that top nav to see how that evolves um, week by week as we head towards the uh, the summer tournament uh, for the national team. And now, last but not least, our new feature. We reached out to our listeners um, for questions and they provided. We have six questions for you. Um, myself and Nick are going to alternate them in answering them. Um, the first being by um, Scott Duggins at Dugs underscore zero six. 
Any January transfers catching your eye? Nick? Um, not really. Uh, it's been the quiet window. Okay, moving that. on to question two. <laughs> Cheers, Scott. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I think, um, yeah, there hasn't really been, been much activity so far on, on the inns. I think that's a, that's a COVID world. There's not many funds available um, and, and you've got to be careful and, and, and choose, choose the right players in this time. Um, obviously, I think Palace have got in a new striker on loan, um, which they probably need to back up Benteke. Wolves have got in a striker on loan from, from Raul Sociedad, uh, who, um, again, is needed with uh, Raul Jimenez's injury. So I think I think those sorts of things. I think what's probably more interesting about the January window is, is um, who's yet to do business and whether they will. Uh, I think Liverpool, obviously, the centre-back issue is, is huge. And are they going to go and spend some money on, on a centre-back? Uh, with with the current injury and, and, and crisis they've got at the back there, um, I think Spurs again it'd be interesting. It, I haven't seen much at the moment. You, you probably know more than me, but again, I know that they're heavily linked with some centre backs at the end of the summer window, and whether whether that could come in and 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 sort of increase the top four hopes. Yeah, because um, I'm sure it's something that, that Mourinho is wanting. I think he would love um, to sign a centre-back, old Mourinho. I think the other one to watch out for as well is, is um, West Ham's striker pursuit. Um, obviously, they sold Haller to Ajax and that never really quite worked out for them, the Haller deal. Um, they've been linked with Josh King from Bournemouth, who I think would, would suit their game and obviously can play wide or play up front and uh, could be back up for Antonio. I think it's a difficult one because Antonio is doing so well up front for them. Is that you can't bring someone in to just get rid of him straight away. Mm. But at the same time, you've got to bring someone in who you know is going to do a job, but also not be too despondent with sitting on the bench behind Antonio for a few games as well. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I know they've been linked with um, with Edouard as well from Celtic, which probably be quite a, good, quite a good signing. But again, for the money you're talking for him, I'm not sure if he's going to be happy to just sit on the bench for West Ham. So, difficult position to be in, but I think they need to sign someone because um, Antonio's hamstring is going to go any minute. Thank you. <laughs> I think you've got a question for me, haven't you? I have. This one is uh, from Josh Gray at Joshua Gray 01. Uh, signing of the season so far? Yeah, so um, I've got a few. Um, and please jump in if you disagree Nick, or uh, have uh, any other ideas. But uh, I've gone for um, cheapest first, uh, Walker Peters, Walker Peters rather, at uh, tw- uh, 12 million. I think, um, I mean, you, it's not necessarily cheap for a player who hasn't played any football for the last uh, three years, or not a lot of football anyway. But um, yeah, he, he's definitely risen to the challenge. Um, he's, he's now part of a very successful um, Southampton team who are punching above their weight, I believe, under a very good manager. Um, and part of that deal, we're led to believe, um, is, was Hoybier, who is actually my second um, in a list of, yes, my signings of the season. Hoybier at 15 million, I think is a steal. Obviously he's arriving at the end of his contract and that's why it's slightly cheap, slightly cheaper than he probably should have been. But yeah, he's, um, I was one, I was worried that he wasn't gonna be able to step up. Obviously um, what's required of you as a centre midfielder um, at Southampton is very different from at Spurs. Um, there's no room for error or much less room for error anyway. But I think he's risen to the challenge. Not only is he capable from a footballing ability wise, uh, a point of view, but also his, his, um, his mental attributes are very strong. He's a leader in uh, as part of the Spurs setup already. And uh, yeah, I love him to bits. Uh, 50 million, he's got to be there for me. Um, Martinez, the Villa goalkeeper. Um, 20 million isn't, isn't cheap, but I think it's not very expensive either for a keeper as good as he's proving to be this season. Um, and as a sim- similar to Kyle Walker-Peters in a way that he's now part of a setup in Villa that are doing uh, extraordinary things this season. 
Um, his teammate Watkins at 28 million is my fourth signing of the season. At, um, he's you guys are all of them. I am, yeah. These are just my all the, uh, oh, all, all, all the summer signings. <laughs> <laughs> well, the ones that stood out to me, really. Go on, oh, I'm jesting. Go on, carry on. You are jesting. I'm just, just interrupting as well. I'm just really doing it. <laughs> Etiquette alone. Uh, <clears throat> Watkins, oh, 28 million. Forget it, I'll do it quickly. Uh, I know, but lastly but not least, um, yeah, Fafana at uh, 36.5 million, um, I think is the sign of the season. I know it's, um, it's for a lot of money, the most money in that list that extremely long list of mine but um yeah he's proven to be like outrageous talent for his age as well i think he's 22 um oh, great. Younger than that. is he even better so. brilliant i think he's 19. that insane um i mean you don't he's obviously got to um, prove it over a longer period of time but um yeah it looks so comfortable on the ball and yeah it's just playing beyond his years um and at 36.5 million i mean You'd have to pay more for him probably now, um, considering we bought Sanchez yeah. for like 48 million. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? He'd be worth more than that now, I think, uh, based on his performance so far this season. So I'm going to go, albeit the most expensive in my list, um, I will be going for Fafana as my signing of the season. Have you got any more? Any, did you disagree anyway? I, I, I had, um, uh, I, don't, I don't disagree with any of them. I think Walter Peters is sort of quite a shrewd signing. He reminds me a little bit when they got Bertrand, sort of a, a, a player who can't get into the academy at sort of a, a bigger club and, and snap them up for a little bit less money. Yeah, um, Hoiberg, I think, has been very, very good. It'd be interesting. Uh, I don't know how old he is, but what what happens um, when, not if, when Mourinho leaves because he suits that style, doesn't he, quite well? And obviously, will he will he be able to suit a different style? I'm not sure he's a player that sort of say Pochettino would have had, but um, but I do think he's been very good. So it's a good shout. Um, I, I in my list, I had um, Fafana, I had Martinez, who I think has been absolutely unreal. I think he's transformed Villa. Yeah, uh, Villa's back line at least. I think last season they struggled massively with goalkeepers struggling and changing um, between a few different uh, different keepers. So I think I think that's been a really good sign. The one that I think that you haven't mentioned, mm. um, albeit for a lot of money, um, <clears throat> but I think could potentially win Man City the league is Ruben Diaz. Um, I think he was like sixty odd million, sixty two yeah. million, which is just obviously madness for a centre back. But it, it could transpire that he is Man City's Van Dijk. Um, and if they win the league, it will be in no small part down to him and what he's done to the defence and change the defence. So uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say him. Alrighty. Um, okay, Nick, I've got a question for you uh, from Ryan McSweeney at Ryan MCS92. Um, I mean, doesn't what your top three, four, three was? Okay, so I'm going to read it as he wrote it. Um, what your top four six was pre-season and what is it now? Um, and what do you think uh, has been the major influences on the change? Uh, was it no fans, managerial, managerial appointment, fixture pile-up, etc.? So I, th I think if I'm, uh, if, I'm reading, if I'm understanding that correctly, uh, that did work it sweet there, Ryan McSweeney. Um, I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to go top six. I'm going to say what, what was my top four pre-season and what, what, what was my predicted top four now? Um, I think my top four um, pre-season from memory was was in, in no particular order, but Man City, Liverpool, um, Man United and Chelsea. Um, actually, the same top four as last season, to be fair. Um, I think now, probably the only change I would make is to swap out Chelsea for... And I'm going to struggle here because I think... 
I think it's Leicester or Spurs. So I'm going to, I'm going to bottle that and say either of Leicester or Spurs. Um, <laughs> but certainly, certainly Liverpool, City, United, and then and then um, I really like the way Leicester are playing at the moment. I think they're very very good. I'm just in the back of my mind. I would say them, but in the back of my mind, I've got their their little slip at the end of last season, mm-hmm. and uh, something that some Rogers teams seem to do uh, every now and then. Looking back to Liverpool's title challenge under Rogers as well. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll I'll go for the sake of making a decision. City, Liverpool, United, Leicester, but with Spurs very very close. You had to do it, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, right, we've got a question here from Benjamin Allison at Benjamin eighty nine TVA. I wonder what the TVA stands for. Um, what's the reasons for Liverpool's poor form, Tom? Well, we kind of alluded to it previously um, in our match spotlight. Um, where I just um, explained how obviously Liverpool are relying on an unchanged attacking threat, um, plus injuries and defence. I mean, Nick, unless you have got any more ideas, uh, that's what I've got for that one, really. Well, I think so. Liverpool's midfield don't score goals, and they haven't really. Like, if you think if you think of their midfield over the last few years, Henderson, Fabinho, now, now Thiago, Keita, uh, Wijnaldum, probably out of them, Wijnaldum is probably the one who's, who scores the most goals. And even then, it's it's not a lot. Um, they they rely heavily on the front three uh, to, to score all of their goals. And over the past few years, they, they have. And, and as you said, it's become a little bit stagnant. Confidence is down a little bit. Things aren't really aren't paying off. Little, little flicks here and there aren't paying off. And I think that basically their front three have had a uh, have coincided and they've all had a slightly off period for, in the same the same few weeks uh, as each other and therefore they're not scoring those goals things aren't coming as extinct extinctive to them so I, I think it's that and and if they had a few midfielders who they could rely on for a, an odd goal here and there I think they'd be uh, um, in a lot better position in terms of scoring goals lately but but they don't and that's their style of play which is fine there you go uh, next question from Kieran Gow at Kieran G A eight. Are people taking Villa and West Ham seriously for a top four six finish? Not much wrong with their setup or performance level. It's a good question, actually. Um, top four, no. Uh, top six, no. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kieran, again, um, yeah. I, I, both of them are playing very well um, and are very very well set up. I think Moyes has got West Ham drilled superbly and, and they look very organised hard to beat and, and, are, and are picking up a lot of wins now Villa I really like I think they look like a really exciting team um, what I would say is that if you ask their fans probably 12 to 8 well at the beginning of last season how how the managers were doing and how their team were playing I think both were struggling massively um, Moyes has turned it around Dean Smith I mean they survived by the skin of their teeth they survived by a lack of goal line technology basically in the end last season and now they're up there um, towards the top of the table. So I do think what that does show is that it does take a little bit of time for managers to turn things around. Maybe I'm saying there's a little bit of a Lampard angle on it, but um, yeah, I think you've got to give these, these sorts of managers who want to implement their style a bit of time. I don't think either of them will make the top six purely on a on a squad basis. I think if any of them pick up any injuries uh, or, or sort of their key players uh, have a bit of a dip in form, I think they will struggle. But um some, both got very strong 11s now and are both playing some really good football. So I'm um, definitely impressed by them. I just think there's there's more teams who are, who are stronger than them that finish above them in the top six. Yeah, I think I agree. <laughs> uh, right. This is our last question now. This is from Benjamin Crawley. Uh, at Benjamin Crawley. Great at. Uh, yeah, spot on really. It does what it says on the team. Um, 
Is the FA Cup still a major trophy and how can the competition become important again? Is the FA Cup still a major trophy? Yes. Um, you know, people still uh, love to win the double, uh, win the treble. And the FA Cup is always the one you want as part of that set, not the League Cup. Uh, I still think in English football, we do like the FA Cup. Yes, it's diminishing over time, but I still think it's to be considered a major trophy. Um, how can the competition become important again? So I've got a few options, I think. Uh, these are possibilities that, um, that could happen. But, and then at the end, I'll say which one I think I would like to happen. Um, so firstly, uh, a VAR across the board or not at all, just to um, keep the integrity of the tournament, really, the, uh, the competition. Um, similar to a point we made last week, really, when rules are changing mid-season. It's just uh, keep it clean um, to maintain the integrity of the competition. Let's have the rules um, the same throughout the season and for every club. Um, scrap replays, so it's just less games. Um, if that means it's going straight to penalty shootouts, um, do it. I'll, I'll, we, I think, uh, yeah, you, to avoid that situation where neither team want a replay. <laughs> And they're going into the last 10. And it's just like, again, it doesn't help the, uh, the integrity of the competition, really, when you, you're, throwing, you're seeing two um, clubs throw caution to the wind just so they have to play another game. Um, better prize money is my third idea. Uh, like The FA Cup is not a valuable competition for big clubs because of um, the low prize money that is won by the winning club. Um, so if, if you think, right, so there's low prize money and high risk based on when it's scheduled. So it's just like a recipe for, recipe for disaster. And that's why clubs uh, yeah, tend to um, deprioritize it in their fixture list. Um, fourth idea, more European incentive. So we could give a Champions this is the age old idea, isn't it? Give a Champions League spot to the winner um, and then fourth place gets a, um, a Europa League spot. And finally, um, my fifth idea, and probably my favourite, bin the League Cup and start the FA Cup earlier, not just after Christmas when everyone is knackered. Um, I think, as I say, I mean, I mean, I can't say it more explicitly than that. I think to lose the League Cup, which um, I mean, people like the League Cup because they like a cup competition at the first half of the season, right? So then that's, if, we, if we were to remove the League Cup from the schedule, you bring the FA Cup earlier. So you have that, cup, that taste of the FA Cup. Uh, a, a taste of cup football, knockout football, um, but then you just prolong it. So it's not such a hindrance on the fixture list. And um, and so there's no complaints, as I say, about um, having to... I mean, you could even keep replays if you started it earlier in the season, for example. So I think it solves um, a lot of issues. So yeah, uh, of those um, solutions, mine is uh, remove the League Cup um, and yeah, start the FA Cup earlier. Nick, if, of those um, ideas, do you prefer any or have you, have you, have you one of your own? Um, I like the the Champions League incentive, but what I, th I don't think so. Obviously, the Premier League aren't going to allow that, so we're sort of dreaming a little bit, I guess. But what I, what I quite like to see is the winner of the FA Cup plays fourth place in a in a playoff yeah. Champions League, and the loser gets the Europa League. What a what a loss! Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think that'd be obviously that's just that's dreaming, isn't it? But it's obviously there's nothing better than that Championship playoff final, is there? When like there's so much so much at stake there. I think if if you had that, I think it would. Um, it would make the incentive of the FA Cup, winning the FA Cup greater and also provide a lot more entertainment to the fans at the end of the season when you have this sort of um, 40 million or whatever it is to get in the Champions League uh, playoff game, which would be great. Yes, yeah, nice idea as well. like that. And that's it. Episode two, done and dusted. Went all right, didn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, hopefully it was a bit short on last week. It was a little bit long last week, wasn't it? But well, maybe it wasn't after my, after my Lampard rant, but... Yeah, well, you needed to do it, to be honest. No, I think I think it was a little bit shorter. We'll find out in the edit. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's going all right. I think this is a bit of a laugh, isn't it? Something to do during lockdown. Probably if they're paying for us, isn't it? Well. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, um, seriously, though, if there's any questions, uh, last week we had some really good questions uh, from, from everyone who, who tweeted in. So please do do that again this week and we'll try and answer as many as we can next week. Uh, it's really enjoyable to engage with our followers. Absolutely. And on top of that, please subscribe to our feed, uh, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or Google Podcasts. Leave us a five star review. I know I said that last time. We still haven't had any. So like if you're looking at your phone now, well, you're probably in your pocket, isn't it, with your headphones on. But pull the phone out of the pocket. Go to your uh, podcast hosting platform of choice. Chuck us a five star review. Simple as that. Um, share us to your friends as well. Chuck it on social media. Um, follow us on Twitter at Wembley Way. And remember to check out our website for previous episodes and the latest England squad power rankings. As I said, at thewembleyway.com. Uh, that's it. It's over. We've done it. Thank you very much for having us. Um, I've been Tom. And I've been Nick. And we've been the Wembley Way. Good night.